Today, since I have a captive audience, I'm going to keep you no longer than 4.30 today. So, what? <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I still get laughs. You, Willis. This is Sister Willis. <laughs> I want to draw your attention briefly on this day to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read Matthew 28, but I'm going to go back in time and read also some selected passages from the book of Genesis. And when I do that, I will give you the scripture. But Matthew chapter 28, it may be reading a little bit different, but yes, that'll be fine. Yeah, if you go to the scripture, that'll be fine. Matthew 28, I'm going to read the first 15 verses. Then I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray for the word after. Actually, why don't we do this? Why don't you stand now? I'm going to pray actually as we start. Just if you stand with me, please, briefly. Today, Lord, we are thankful for allowing us to be in this place. We want to thank you for those that have gathered. Pray that you will give us the word today for the people. May the ears be open, the hearts be receptive. The word of God enlighten the hearers of today. We love you. We thank you on this wonderful Resurrection Sunday. We give honor and glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 28. And I will be reading from the New International Version. So minds will read a little bit differently than the King James Version that you have there. But you should be able to follow along if you don't have the Bible with you. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse number 1. It says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Verse 3. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. Who was crucified? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, or another translation says, rejoice, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Verse 12. When the chief priests 
had met with the elders and devised a plan. They, got, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Verse 14, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Verse 15, so the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. As a title for this message, I have given, You Are Not Entitled to Your Own Truth. You are not entitled to your own truth. One of the greatest tragedies that will occur in the judgment is people trying to tell God that they were a good person and did not hurt anyone, and that's why they should be able to go to heaven. Heaven is very popular. It's a very popular place that many people like to talk about. However, most people have decided that they can get to heaven on their own merits and therefore bypass who and what God has in place in order for them to get there. Today, many people seek God out of convenience or fear but not because they truly desire to have a changed heart. Without holiness, the Bible says, no one will see the Lord. It's Hebrews chapter 12, 14. For God says also in Leviticus 19, 2, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Today we celebrate the greatest event in the history of the world. And that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. Paying our debt of sin that we could never pay. And as we look at the scriptures, I pray that God speaks to your heart. The first point I want to make today is going back in history. Going back in history. I'm going to draw your attention to Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to read selected passages here. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 reads. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 reads, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but want that sink in just a little. <laughs> but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Chapter three of Genesis, verses one through seven. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And this little extra part she added, and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 22 in chapter 3. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God Banish him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the men out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. One of the things about not reading the bottom line or fine print of a contract is that it has some details that can cause you great distress if you violate the terms of that contract. In the contract that the Lord made with Adam, he gave him all of the information that he needed to know and how to avoid future problems that he could not even imagine that would take place if the contract was violated. Today we have people that's smarter than God. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We got people smarter than God. They, people that, that tell God that He's doing it all wrong. He, he, he has made a mistake. And therefore God needs our input to help Him make things right. And so, when God created this world, Somehow he must have forgot to get, to get your counsel and ask you how he was to set the mountains in place, how to make sure the firmament, the sky was just the right distance, what color to make the firmament in order that we could see better. He must have needed some help to set the sun just the right distance away so that we wouldn't freeze to death, nor too close that we wouldn't burn up. He definitely needed our counsel when he set the moon in place so that it could help the tides and, and, and help us in regards to navigation. Of course, God set the starry host in place, but somehow he forgot to get your input. So when the Lord made you, he said, oh, let me make man in my image so that they can tell me how to complete my universe. The only problem here is that on the sixth day, God made you. Oh, 
and the seventh day he rested. So I'm sorry that he didn't make you on day one so that you could become his counselor. You are not entitled to your own truth. Of everything that was placed in the garden, only one tree was off limits. And the abundance of what Adam and Eve had available to them was mind-boggling. Can you imagine the world is laid before you? And you are told the only thing that you can't have is that tree right there. Everything else is yours. You are entitled to eat it all. Enjoy. In fact, I've given the earth to you to work the ground and it's going to produce. But that one tree in the middle, don't eat from that one. However, in the Lord's Inability to understand what would happen in time, he made a mistake and put a tree right where we could see it. Right in our line of vision, he put a tree. The Lord definitely needed our counsel to tell him that was the wrong place to put that tree. God should have known that we were curious people. He should have known that somehow that the very thing that he said that we're not to have, that our hearts and minds would be drawn to it. God made a mistake. He must have. Did God make, God, y'all, y'all agree with God made a mistake? No hands? Oh. <laughs> I am sure that God knew exactly what he was doing. God put a tree right there and told them, everything else is yours, but not this. You tell a kid, don't touch that cookie. Right there. You can have everything else here, don't touch the cookie. That kid's going to. <laughs> Y'all know us. <laughs> you know how we do. We, 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 we go after the very things that you know we're not supposed to have. And so the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, gave us a choice. And some reason, and for some reason, God has been blamed throughout history for making it possible for us to choose. You've got a will. God blessed you with the will to choose. God gave you opportunity and told you the consequences in the contract of what will happen. But because we are curious, we oftentimes don't think that the results are as bad as God says they will be. 
And so what we do, we dabble a little, a little bit, just dabble some, and before you know it, we are full-fledged in the very thing that God said that you are not to have. When Satan tells Eve, in fact, consider to consider violating the will of God, then he lies to her about the consequences of the sin. He doesn't lay out to her, oh, God is trying to keep you from something. God knows that the moment you eat of that fruit that your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be just like God. You see, what Satan does is give us enough of what's right, but he doesn't tell you behind the door what's lurking. You see, behind the pleasures of sin, there is an ultimate penalty to pay. And you of yourself cannot pay the penalty. When we get into trouble and down the road we begin to look for help, how can I get out of this? It's taking me in a place, in a direction that I didn't want to go. Help me to get out of this. We often miss what God has given us and focus on what we don't have. God has just given them the world and they're focusing on one tree that God says, leave alone. Once they chose to disobey God, the Bible said that God placed cherubim in the midst. Cherubim were powerful angels in the garden to guard the way to the tree of life. This guarding of the tree was for Adam and Eve's own good. It was for their protection. And it set into motion the plan that God would implement to restore mankind to his rightful place. Back to Matthew chapter 28. Prior to the passage that we read here in Matthew 28, the Roman governor Pilate had been in place in Judea and had been placed there by Emperor Tiberius. Governor Pilate had come to power in A.D. 26, and his reign lasted until A.D. 37. Pilate, being the fifth governor of Judea, was placed there and served longer than many of his other contemporaries. Judea was a bedrock of problems. In Palestine, which it was called down, is that in this place, Judea had been ruled in Jerusalem by the Romans, Rome being about 1,500 miles from Jerusalem, but their power extended, and so Rome would set into place the people that they said was to govern and keep the people, not necessarily keep them safe, but make sure that there was peace and that there were no riots. Judea was a problem because they were always rebelling and always having problems. Judea was a bedrock of riots and revolts. And so Pilate was on thin ice at this time with Rome. And one of the things that he did not want to have happen, he did not want to have any type of riots or problems coming up because Rome had already was about to replace them. 
And so we come to the place where Jesus is coming to trial before a situation and this governor who really does not want problems and want to make sure the people are satisfied with what they desire. These same people that just a few days ago said, Hosanna in the highest. Look at Jesus coming down the road and laying their coats on the, on the ground and laying palm branches down. And a few days later saying, kill him, crucify him. That's like us. Happy one moment and kill him the next. Take him out of here. <laughs> don't make me mad. You don't want to take me there. Right? There's a side of me you don't want to see. That's true. <laughs> make me angry. Or make me lose my little bit of religion. <laughs> and so Pilate here is on thin ice with the Roman government. Now, if you read the account of the crucifixion, you will find that Pilate knew that the scribes, the Jewish elders, the leaders, did not like Jesus. They were jealous of him because of his popularity as one of the things. And Pilate knew that the reason that they were bringing charges against him was because of jealousy. They didn't like him. And so what was normally for the worst of criminals was crucifixion. And now they have come to a place to where they are convincing the people to ask for a murderer to be released, and Jesus to be crucified. Now, something that's interesting to me is that there's a person by the name of Barabbas. I don't hear too many kids named Jezebel and Barabbas today. I mentioned Jezebel already. You don't hear too many Jezebels today, right? You don't hear too many Barabbases. You can name it, I'm going to name my kid Barabbas. Barabbas, that's his name. You know he's going to be a rascal if you name him Barabbas, right? <laughs> but here's the situation. The name Barabbas is interesting. It means son of God. Small s, small g. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And it's interesting to note that Barabbas and Jesus are offered by Pilate to the people of who to release. Now, they have become a custom of the Roman government in Judea to release a prisoner, whoever the people chose, once a year. And during that time of the Passover, they could choose anybody they wanted. Barabbas was in jail for thievery and murder. Now let me throw another thing on you as well. It is believed that Barabbas was his last name. His first name was Jesus. Kids back in this day, Jesus was a common name to give to, G to, to uh, people. Only after the crucifixion and the resurrection did people no longer call their kids Jesus. But Barabbas, son of God, first name, is Jesus. 
And here they are presented. Who do you choose? Isn't this interesting? And the people said, give us Barabbas. And Pilate says to them, what in the world? Just a week ago, y'all were singing his praises. I was here. I am governor here singing the praises of this king. And so Pilate is trying to get off the hook by saying, oh, I know they're going to ask for Jesus, so I'm going to, who should I release? And these thinking they're going to say Jesus. And they say Barabbas. And they go, what, what has he done? <laughs> what? He's in a dilemma right now. And his wife had just come and said, hey, I just had a dream about that man. This man, Jesus, I've, I, I have dreamt some, some things. Leave that good man alone. And the people chose Jesus, Barabbas, son of God, rather than Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the Almighty. And so he's given to them. Barabbas is one of those people that leave your wallet down. You come back, it's gone. Oh, you leave it your office. Oh, I forgot my wallet. Oh, run back to the church. I left it right. I thought I left. Wait a minute. Maybe I left it over here. Somebody said, Barabbas just left. <laughs> he was in a hurry. But he gone. Barabbas the thief. Got it. <laughs> okay. Don't leave your stuff laying around. Then don't make him mad. If he said that I know where you live, look out. Barabbas didn't play. But the people asked for him. And so this is the situation. Now Pilate is in a dilemma. So he in himself, what can I do? And the Pilate brings water and he begins to wash his hands. He says, I am innocent of this man's blood. After the Sabbath, Jesus is buried in a tomb. Now tombs were cut out of the rock. The tomb that was cut out of the rock was a tomb that had not been, had been used before. It was a new tomb. And when Jesus dies upon this cross and is taken down, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea comes and asks Pilate for the body, buries him in the tomb on Friday before Passover early Sunday morning after the Sabbath at dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the Mary, the other Mary, come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. When they get to the tomb, they recognize and see that the tomb has been opened because on the way they're saying, who's going to open the tomb? Because they, had see, they, see, they saw Joseph, this big stone, roll the stone in place. And they're wondering, how are we going to anoint the body? Because we couldn't do it before the Sabbath because there was now no time. And when they get to the site, there is an angel. In other passages mentioned there's two, but there's an angel that speaks to them. Now, two things I want you to notice in the passage that we read. When that angel showed up on the scene, 
you oftentimes will see when an angel of the Lord presents a message to the people, there is a, there is a statement that often says, fear not or don't be afraid. When he appeared before the soldiers who are guarding a dead man in the cemetery, you don't find guards normally guarding the graves, but these soldiers are now guarding the tomb because they said that this deceiver said he's going to rise in three days. When that angel shows up, there are no words of comfort. The Bible says that they fell as dead men. But when Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary showed up, the angel speaks words of comfort to them because they are seeking Jesus. You see, there's a side now that we see of God's judgment and God's wonderful grace and mercy. And when we look at this scene here with the angel, when the women comes to this sepulcher, this tomb, the angel greets them. I know that you are seeking Jesus of Nazareth. He's not here. Now, I want to draw your attention just briefly and quickly. I want you to look at this. And that is, the resurrection is not simply based on the tomb being empty. Listen carefully. Because anybody could have been looked in the tomb and there's not, the, the tomb being empty could have just been like, oh, there's not a body. But that didn't confirm that Jesus had risen. What confirmed Jesus had, having risen was the fact that he had been seen by hundreds of witnesses alive. He had been seen alive. That confirmed what he said. The empty tomb, yes, but the confirmation is that you can see me. Tell my disciples they can see me in Galilee. As I quickly move through this part here. When Jesus tells his disciples to meet me in Galilee, we need to understand something very important. The disciples were not at the tomb. The women were at the tomb. Jesus first revealed himself to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who might have been the mother of Jesus or the other Mary. But he, re he showed himself to them. The only person that's recorded to have been at the crucifixion is the Apostle John. The other disciples were in hiding for fear of being arrested by the Roman government. When they saw them take Jesus, they scattered. So the story that says that Jesus is risen or his disciples came and stole his body, is just ludicrous. Why? Because they are fearful. They are scared. They are in hiding. And how in the world can this small band come and destroy a fighting army guarding the tomb? There would be no match for the, the disciples would be no match. They would be killed. They'd have been taken out. And yet, what we believe oftentimes flies in the face of all the facts. You are not entitled to your own truth. You're not entitled to your own truth. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose to die no more. 
He rose to complete all of the things that the sacrifices were a symbol of. He was the perfect sacrifice. Bible says that the soldiers fell as dead men. That's exactly what it was like. They see this angel. When people say, oh, oh my little guardian angel. No, come on. Guard angels are powerful beings. You can't stand in the presence of an angel and be okay. They represent God. And if you, if you notice, every time the angels are mentioned, there's a, there's a brightness. Their face, the Bible says, is like lightning. They're closed. Why? Because when you're in the presence of God, there is a glow about you. There is a holiness that happens that can't be explained. You think of Moses when he stood in the presence of the Lord. He had to put a veil over his face until the glory of God began to fade. You can't be in God's presence and not be affected. When you are faced with truth, you're not entitled to your own truth. Question for those who don't know the Lord today is, what are you going to do with the debt that Jesus paid? Now, let me quickly take you back to Genesis. When the Lord placed those cherubim, those powerful angels to guard the tree of life, the Lord was doing this for our own protection and benefit. When the Lord created us, he created us with a soul. We're going to live forever somewhere. If Adam and Eve, in the condition of having fallen from the grace of God, had partaken of the tree of life in that fallen condition, they would have been ever lost, seeking to try to make it right with God. In God's wonderful act of mercy, he placed the angel, the cherubim there, to guard the tree of life, banished them from the garden. You've got to leave this garden now. And placed flaming swords that anybody that tried on their own merits to get to God, to get to that tree, would be killed. And instead, what God did, says, I've got a plan. And I'm going to take this plan that I set from the foundation of the world before you even came into being, before you were even conceived. God set a plan in place to bring us back to himself that culminated in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Lord did it himself. And so in this wonderful provision, God says, I'm going to put a guard to the tree of life, and I'm going to allow, I'm going to allow, I'm going to allow my son to pay the penalty and bring you back to myself. Now, here's the interesting thing as I bring this to a conclusion. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, the Bible says that there was a, 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 a what was not a curtain, but this, what was it? The veil that separated what? In the temple, a place called the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holies of Holies is where the ark had been placed earlier, but it is not there now because when Babylon came to town back in the Old Testament and had taken the people from Judea and Jerusalem to Babylon, the ark was lost or taken. But that Holy of Holies was there 
for the and represented the presence of God. It was an 80-foot long curtain that separated the outer from the inner, and only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies one time a year to offer the sins. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that that thick, long curtain, that 80-foot that veil, inch thick, was torn from top to bottom. That now that which was hidden from view, the Holy of Holies, is now made accessible to us because of Jesus, and we can now go to God for ourselves. No longer need the priest. No need to the high priest. No longer need to go to confession. You can enter the throne room of God for yourself. There's no priest any longer that can, needs to stand between you and God. Jesus Christ is your high priest. He's the one that makes intercession for us to be able to go and stand in the very presence of the Almighty God. Hallelujah. And so that temple being rent brings us access for ourselves to the very throne room of God. And Jesus, having been raised from the dead, paid the price. So when he said on that cross, it is finished. The suffering that I had to go through to pay the price that Adam and Eve started back in the garden. And all the things throughout time, Jesus says, it is finished. The price is paid. Lord, Father, into your hands, not your hands, into the Father's hands, I commend or commit my spirit. What are you going to do with Jesus? There's no other way to God but through him. You're, 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 you're not entitled to your own truth. You're not entitled to your own way. It's Jesus only. What are you going to do with Jesus? I want you to bow your head. Jesus paid a debt that we could never pay. The perfect Paschal Lamb of God, <laughs> He paid for our sins. The past, those there, the present, future. It is in Christ, not yourself, in Him. The fact that you've got to say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I accept you as my Savior. It's that simple. You can't buy salvation. It's simply that simple to say, Lord, help me. Even the times when you struggle with wondering, Lord, I need help. I'm struggling with believing. It is a matter of faith. And faith is not in something that is not there. Faith is in someone. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please him. Them that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So if you're struggling in your life and you've been trying to live by your own truth, today it can stop right here. 
Because the price and the debt has already been paid. He did it for you. You were never meant to struggle on your own. There ain't, you don't have the solution. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Take my burden, my yoke. My burden is light. And today I'm asking you, for those who have never said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, no a lot of fanfare simply saying Lord I'm sorry I repent and do you know when you repent it means that you have a change of mind and the direction that you are going in you're saying I'm going in the other direction because my heart now has been changed if you've been living a life of sin and walking down a path of unholiness the Bible says that you can change now because of what Jesus Christ has done but it's through him that's why he came there's no other salvation. There's no other plan. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We can be saved. It's only through Jesus. Muhammad's still dead. Confucius is still dead. Buddha is still dead. The only religion that shows, shows and has a risen Savior is Christianity. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Good thoughts, good plans, but the only religion, the only, the only person who have risen from the dead is Jesus Christ. And even the calendars reflect the fact of Jesus Christ. B.C. and A.D. in the year of our Lord. If there's anybody in this place today that says, I want to make the Lord my Savior. I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Is your opportunity right now. I want to be done in just a couple of minutes and let you go. If you want to accept the Lord, simply saying, Lord, yes, I want to accept you as my Savior. You put your hands up and put it down. I'll pray for you right now. Person that raised their hand that I saw, I'm going to call you this week. But right now where you are in your heart, I'm going to ask you just to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I ask that you will forgive me of my sins and that you will come into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. I know that I've tried to do it my way, but today I give it to you. I give my life to you. I want you to be the Lord and my Savior, to rule and to guide my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I know the one person that I saw whose hand went up. I'm contacting you this week to speak with you, spend time with you, to talk about what it means. I want to thank you for taking that step. And because of your confession of faith, because of what you just said, salvation is yours. The Lord comes and the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And it's not a matter of having all these type of feelings. It's a matter of by faith. This week, I'm going to contact you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. All the visitors here want to thank you. Don't make church an annual thing. <laughs> Don't make it annual. We're here every Sunday. You'll find us here every Sunday. You're welcome. 